Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North. We are live just coming up on 5.05 p.m. Eastern Time on March 22nd, Tuesday, March 22nd. It is just basically... A few hours after Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, the Liberal and NDP leaders uh, respectively, announced they are entering into, we're we're not supposed to call it a coalition. It's just an agreement, just a confidence and supply agreement in which the NDP will prop up the Liberals for the next three years until 2025 in exchange for some very big ticket items. Now, I want to talk about what this is. And for that, let's first bring in John Broussard, who's a Conservative Member of Parliament and the Conservative House Leader who joins us live. Uh, John, it's good to talk to you. First off, when Conservatives were warning that this was a possibility uh, going back several months to the previous leader, Aaron O'Toole, uh, the media, the Liberals, the NDP, they all treated it as though it was a joke, a conspiracy theory, yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. Um, you know, effectively coming out of the September election, Andrew, uh, the NDP had been supporting the Liberals on almost every piece of legislation that was coming th- forward, including, uh, you know, some of the... Uh, some of the stuff that was happening at committee. So we knew that the NDP was supporting. And look, let's be frank. I mean, the NDP uh, coming out of that election has no money. They they don't want another election. And I guess this was the path to least resistance for them to A, avoid election and to B, uh, and B, to get some very costly programs uh, implemented. Uh, whether they're going to get implemented or not remains to be seen. But these are costly, costly uh, programs. And this is a costly alliance or i would prefer to call it a coalition of the ndp uh, liberal uh, parties yeah i want to put up a tweet that i saw from you last night when news of this broke Uh, it's basically just i think the reality for canadians here dollar signs repeated over and over and over and over again but but actually quantify this because it's easy to say oh yeah the liberals the ndp they want to spend big how much is this going to cost taxpayers in your view so we know, uh, Andrew, that the two programs alone, um, the dental care program and the pharma care program, will cost roughly about $100 billion. $100 billion. Uh, we also know that the NDP platform, costed out by the parliamentary budget officer, was in excess uh, of $200 billion. So those are two programs, $100 billion, NDP platform, $200 billion. That's not counting any of the wish list that uh, the Liberals and Finance Minister Christian Freeland are going to be proposing in any upcoming budgets, including uh, defense budgets. So look, I, I have four children and, you know, politics aside, Andrew, right now we're $400 billion in deficits. We're $1.3 trillion in debt. Who the hell do you think is going to pay for that? Right. Now, I'm worried about my kids and I'm worried about every other kid, every other uh, family in this country. Uh, because you know as well as I do that two things happen in these types of situations when you don't balance the books. Taxes go up, services get cut, and uh, 
uh, I'm worried. And I'm also worried too about some of the language that's in there. And you can tell that they've been working on this for a while because there's not even any mention of energy security in this, uh, in, you know, creating an energy security in the country, uh, given the circumstances that are going on with Russia and Ukraine and the need for uh, natural gas in Europe. Uh, so they, they've been working on this for a while. Uh, but the other thing, and this is where I move back to a coalition, uh, there are meetings that are going to happen between the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, and Prime Minister Trudeau, that's going to happen on a quarterly basis. The House leaders are going to regularly meet be between the two parties. The whips are going to meet regularly. And they're creating this ad hoc committee of staff and MPs to meet regularly as well. So there's no mention about the opposition party, the official opposition, whether it's the Conservatives or the bloc as the third party, of being part of any of these meetings. The other thing that the document references too is committees and uh, that uh, they have the NDP agreement to basically go along with everything they want uh, that's not controversial in committees. So put, to put this in context, the, the committees, as you know, have the ability uh, to produce, uh, to, to create orders to produce documents to the House. The Winnipeg Lab uh, situation was, uh, was a perfect example of that, where every member of the opposition voted to produce these, these documents. Well, the NDP now has basically said, we're going to, we're going to uh, you know, uh, protect the Liberals from any of that work that gets done at the committees because the committees do have uh, significant powers and can produce documents. So transparency and accountability are gone at this point. In well, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, John, because one thing that, that I think is quite striking about this is how broad one could interpret what confidence is. I mean, if it's just a matter of voting with the liberal budget and having free reign to do whatever you want and other things, okay. But when you talk about committees, that's a very important point because we've seen, despite ideological disagreements that the Conservatives and the NDP and the Bloc may have, the three parties have worked together in the interests of accountability on a couple of occasions, whether it was the SNC Lavalin uh, investigation, whether it was the We scandal. And again, you can talk about how Justin Trudeau manages to avoid responsibility for a lot of these things. But but the point is that you can work together in these contexts. Whereas if, if now the NDP has basically agreed, not in the formal text that we've gotten, but if they've agreed to essentially not oppose the Liberals, all of a sudden Justin Trudeau has a, a de facto majority government. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's one of the reasons why he did this was to have his majority government. Look, you know, he got his hand slapped in the uh, 2021 election. Canadians sent him to Ottawa with a minority government. 82% uh, of Canadians didn't vote for the NDP, and yet they're effectively part of the government at this point. So on the committee side, it becomes extremely important because in a minority situation, uh, the opposition party, for the most part, has the majority on committee. And now with the NDP swinging over to the Liberals, that gives the Liberals a majority on the committee. And so you spoke about some specific examples, whether it's the WE charity situation, the SNC-Lavalin SNC scandal, um, you know, we, there were some other things. But look, you know, we have had one meeting of the Emergency Act Committee at this point, right? And we were hopeful, notwithstanding the absurd structure of the committee that was proposed by the government and agreed to by the NDP, uh, opposed by the Bloc and ourselves, uh, they've got a chair on that committee, uh, Matthew Green, uh, who, you know, frankly, I was quite confident in his ability to 
hold the government to account, to get to the bottom of why the Emergency Act was invoked, this changes everything, in my opinion, because now Mr. Green might be getting his, uh, his orders from the leader himself, right? Don't obstruct. Let's just, you know, let's just go with the flow here. Uh, and this is an important committee to get, get to the bottom of why the invocation of the Emergency Act and whether it was justified and whether it met that threshold or not. So it calls into question that committee as well, Andrew. Yeah, and on the note of the Emergencies Act, that was only authorized by the House of Commons because the, the Liberals had NDP support. Do we know if these talks were underway at the time that the NDP made that decision to support the Liberals? Well, when I look at the document that was provided by the Prime Minister's office today, the only indication that I get that this was being worked on for a while is the fact that there is nothing in it that mentions about uh, defence, uh, that talks about energy security. So that tells me that they didn't have an opportunity, perhaps. They should have. Yeah, if a deal were, were started in the last four weeks, those would be top of mind for any legislator. I would assume that they would be part of this, this agreement because you know, Minister Anand has signaled that the government is intending on spending a significant amount of money on defense. Uh, that should form part of this agreement, and it's not in there. So, uh, you know, I look, there's no secrets around this place. We'll find out when these conversations uh, started between uh, the Liberals and the NDP, and I suspect they probably started shortly after the 2021 election when Justin Trudeau didn't get the majority that he wanted. One thing, I and I, I'm not trying to undercut that these are big-ticket items, but one thing that I find is uh, very important to note here is that these are things that the Liberals had already promised previously, and, and they're not broken promises that I'd be jumping up and down about because I don't love the policy, so I'm okay that the promises were broken, but it doesn't seem like the NDP got all that much that wasn't already on the table here, especially if you contrast it with the uh, attempt at a coalition back in 2008 when Jack Layton would have had seats in the cabinet for the NDP. Well, it, you bring up a good point because I think what, what Mr. Singh has done is, you know, if you sort of equate it to a game of poker, he's pushed his chips all in at this point, right? Mm -hmm. instead, of, instead of dealing with, uh, you know, situations, legislative proposals on a case-by-case -case basis, he's now effectively given the Trudeau Liberals, uh, you know, free reign uh, to do whatever they want to do, not just in the context of what the agreement was, uh, but he's made an arrangement with them that he will support them until 2025. So, you know, I, I saw today uh, in the House, uh, I thought uh, was what was a more emboldened prime minister, uh, just in his language and his rhetoric. He's now got the NDP effectively in his hip pocket till 2025. And I think you're going to see Justin Trudeau. Uh, you're probably going to see not the sunny ways, Justin Trudeau, but the true colors of, of of Justin Trudeau come out as a result of this agreement. I mean, he's always been reliant on having to go to the polls and and get a you know get a uh, get support from Canadians. But you're going to see a more emboldened, more ideologically uh, activated sort of agenda that's going to come forward, and it's going to not just cost us as Canadians, uh, but uh, you know he's 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 going to get what he wants basically, and and I share I share your view in the sense that uh, you know they they promised a whole bunch, uh, but they actually haven't delivered. Uh, this may be a situation where you know Trudeau may not run in four years or maybe leaves earlier, but he's going to leave his mark on this country, and uh, you know, God help us all. John Broussard, Conservative House Leader, thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, Andrew. Anytime.
All right. I mean, I'm looking at this right now, and I want to read a few of the things because there are going to be, as as John mentioned, uh, meetings, leaders meetings at Leeds once per quarter, regular house leader meetings, regular WIP meetings, monthly stock take meetings by an oversight group. So it isn't a coalition per se, but let's be real here. These are semantics that are relatively insignificant. A coalition government to the vast majority of people is a minority parliament taking this, a minority government taking the support from another party to govern as if it had a majority. That's what's happening here. For the NDP, I mean, they could have easily insisted on a formal coalition. Jagmeet Singh could have had a seat in cabinet if they wanted. Instead, they just were not confident they had a bargaining position at all. So they've given away a fair bit for nothing. But the NDP is also not a serious party in Canada. It's certainly not. The fact that the NDP comes in behind, which again has formed provincial government in BC. Ontario has had an NDP government, admittedly not recently. Alberta had one up until a couple of years ago. The NDP should be a formidable force in Canada, but isn't. And now they are the third party behind the country, uh, behind the party that wants to tear the country apart, the Bloc Québécois, behind the Conservatives, behind the Liberals. And, And they've given away... They've given away quite a bit. They've given Justin Trudeau carte blanche in exchange for a couple of things that were already promised. And, I mean, Jack Layton would be rolling in his grave right now. He probably is, because he was at least prepared to get, I think, seven cabinet seats. It was six or seven cabinet seats he would have got out. But I I go back to the point I mentioned at the very beginning of my conversation with John Broussard. When the Conservatives said, we are looking at the possibility of a Liberal NDP coalition, everyone laughed. Everyone laugh. Take a look at this uh, clip from Aaron O'Toole predicting this precise scenario months ago. It's been almost two months since the election. Justin Trudeau called the election because of the urgency of the times, he said. He said it was a pivotal moment in Canada's history. So pivotal that he hasn't even met with his own MPs who were elected for almost two months, and he's delaying a return of the House of Commons. His first order of business is to let his new Liberal members of Parliament know that they will have to accept a radical Liberal NDP coalition agreement. This coalition will mean billions of dollars of new spending to buy just Jagmeet Singh's silence. He's bang on. Billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, in fact, and what it does is it buys the NDP support. I go back to the Emergencies Act, which was passed with NDP support, and a lot of NDP members of Parliament seem to be very uncomfortable with the idea of the federal government using the Emergencies Act to quell protesters, to quell dissent. And when I was watching them, people like Jagmeet Singh and other members of his caucus, I I was saying, "You, you can't believe this. You're the party of labor. You're the party of civil action. You're the party of social activism. You're the party of protest. You can't seriously believe this is okay. And when they try to twist uh, twist themselves into these rhetorical pretzels, I'm like, they must not believe it. But this is why. This is why, because I, I have no doubt in my mind that there were talks underway, or at the very least, the goal, the hope of this liberal NDP pseudo-coalition, which prevents the NDP from having to go into another election it cannot afford and gives the liberals a blank check, quite literally, to do whatever they want for the next few years. And now when the liberals do big spending programs, they can actually blame the NDP. They can say, well, you know, they made us do it while also then reaping the political credit for it. They'll go to people and say, oh, Gladys, that free dental care you got, thanks to us. (laughs) And, And Jagmeet Singh had a comment at a press conference today about that, where he's like, well, you know, as long as the right thing gets done, 
I'm not worried about getting the credit. So I, the NDP has thrown in the towel. They are completely okay just being a vassal party for the Liberals, and the rest of us have to go along with it. And, and we know what's been promised. I'm looking at the list here. A better health care system. So the Liberals are going to launch a low income dental care program, starting with people under 12, then to anyone under 18, then to seniors. And then it sounds like to a third of the country by the time they get to 2025, with anyone who makes less than $90,000, continuing progress towards a universal national pharma care program. So they don't even need to do the program. They just need to tell the NDP they are progressing towards the program. I mean, don't get me wrong. Take as long as you need. I'm in no hurry. But all they need to do is tell the NDP, no, 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 we're moving. We were over there and now we're there. That's progress. You can't complain. You've got to support us. And a rapid housing initiative, some home buying stuff, uh, top up to the Canada housing benefit. So there's some stuff there that, that is pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. And tackling the climate crisis. They are committing to the just transition, which is the transition away from oil and gas sector jobs. So Justin Trudeau, to buy the NDP's support, has signed the death warrant for a lot of oil and gas sector jobs. We've talked about the just transition on this show. We're going to have to have another panel and talk about it further because it's now moving ahead. And there's a question of what happens beyond this. What other things will the NDP back? Does this become a rubber stamp on anything the Liberal government does? Take a look at this question that a reporter asked about what constitutes confidence. What is it that we're really talking about? Because this is a supply and confidence bill, which means any bill that is a confidence bill, the NDP is agreeing to support. But as we saw with the Emergencies Act, Trudeau can very conveniently call anything he wants to get passed a confidence bill so that everyone's too afraid to vote against it. And I can't, I must say, I'm not convinced I even know the answer after this. A lot of your comments seem to be addressing concerns in, in your own party and perhaps in your new dance partner's party uh, that everyone can still do their job and do what they came to do here. But I, I'm, I'm confused as to what limits this agreement and the support. Like, what defines confidence? Do you, do you have a definition of that? Is it only money bills? When it comes to defence spending, for example, will the NDP's view of that veto what you want to do in Ukraine? I think it's important to say that it's not just about uh, reassuring people that uh, the... Um, formulas of Parliament will be respected. Both of our parties understand deeply how important it is for people to have confidence, not just in government, but in our democratic systems. That we're in a time where we are seeing around the world challenges to democracies, erosion of democracies. And that's where the role of parliamentarians to hold governments to account, to ask tough questions, to demand transparency and openness is, continues to be at the center of our working relationship with the NDP and with all other parties. We know that delivering for Canadians needs to, at the same time, reassure them that democracy is strong and that uh, government is being held to account. And that's exactly what this agreement is focused on, saying there are broad areas in which we agree, we should be able to work constructively together and not have Parliament be obstructive so we can deliver for Canadians, but at the same time point out that democracies can be strong 
not only when they're toxic or hyperpartisan, but when they're also collaborative and focused on delivering concretely for Canadians. That's what this is about. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, I, I dozed off there. What, what, was, uh, what was he saying? No, nothing. He was saying nothing. That was like the world's longest lullaby, and it didn't even have the redemptive quality of being soothing. At the end of it, I, I still don't know what his answer to the question was. It was what constitutes supply, and he talks about, oh, democracy and working together, and we're going to do all this stuff and faith in the institutions. And, and the question was, how much are you going to crack the whip and say the NDP has to support you? And the answer, if you read between the lines there, is whenever I damn well want to. And that's the, the Emergencies Act was not a confidence motion, but Justin Trudeau said it was so that everyone who didn't want an election had to vote for it. And that is a very, very important dimension of this. This is a guy who's positioning himself, I, I must say, he gets lots of credit, he's positioning himself to stay in power forever, and he knows it. He knows it. Justin Trudeau was asked how long he plans to stick around because the thinking was, okay, if he's got the runway until 2025, that gives him enough time to choose a successor. Well, take a look. Prime Minister, by the time this deal expires in 2025, you will have been in office for almost 10 years. Uh, are you committed to staying on and running another election campaign in that year, or do you imagine a leadership race within your party? As I've said a number of times, I'm planning on continuing to serve Canadians uh, through and beyond the next election. So he's still anticipating going completely guns blazing into the next election. He's clearly anticipating this because he's confident enough that he can win. And why wouldn't he be? He's won three elections in a row. He won a, ma a majority, of course, went down to a minority, but still he has weathered scandal and he's been around. And if he goes until 2025, that means he'll have had a decade in power. He will have surpassed what Stephen Harper achieved. And if he wins an election on top of that, then he gets 14. I mean, he's going for the William Lyon Mackenzie King record. That's what Justin Trudeau is going for. And he doesn't even want to do the Mackenzie King thing and lose for a term and then come back. He, he thinks that he will have this dynastic place in Canadian politics because by and large, he's surrounded by people that are telling him that is a good idea. And it's odd because normally when you look at the sort of spending promises that we're seeing from the Liberals, you wonder, okay, you're, tr you're clearly racking up enough of a bill here that it is going to be the next person's problem that it's going to be the next person's problem. At this point, he is the next person. He, he's going to be there. He's th there until he is the next person because the NDP do not have a way to find a backbone for themselves and Canadian voters, Canadian taxpayers are the ones stuck with the bill. Now, let me be clear. This is not undemocratic. This is not unconstitutional. This is how the system works. If you look at European parties, for example, European parliaments, it is not uncommon for every government to be a coalition. In some case, a coalition of four, five, six, seven smaller different parties that all have to work together. When you have them, I mean, in the UK, for example, they don't have minority parliaments as part of their convention. They, they exist just as a, as a factual reality. But they almost entirely find coalition governments to avoid what they call a hung parliament. It is generally the convention in Britain that you govern with the support of the majority. You don't just limp by on a vote-by-vote -vote basis. So the issue here is not that, the democ that democracy has been subverted, 
because this number of Liberal MPs were elected, this number of NDP MPs were elected, and combined they have a majority in the House. That's, that's that's, that is democracy. The issue is what it means for voters. The issue is what it means for taxpayers. The issue is what it means for Justin Trudeau. And why the NDP, just because they were so desperate to hang around and have just some semblance of power, that they abandoned the pretense of what it is they are supposed to stand up for as a party. It's no longer the party of Jack Layton. It's no longer the party of Tommy Douglas. It's the party of the woke left, but not even a party that felt it had enough political capital to exact something more than just a, a reassertion of promises that the liberals had already made. Absolutely crazy. I want to pivot. We'll talk about this more on, on the next show this week, I assure you. But I, I want to pivot to a story that emerged in the last day or so from Ottawa police regarding the convoy. I know the convoy is technically over. But I still think there is some there are some subplots that are emerging from this. And, and one of them, to go back to the very first weekend, involves all of the stories that tended to pop up that were supposedly representative of the whole, but really weren't. And, and one of them was this idea that there had been a member of a convoy who had tried to commit a horrible arson in an apartment building on, I think it's called Lisger Street, and they set a fire, they tried to lock the doors to barricade residents in, and people were saying, oh, this was happening near the convoy site, it must have been convoy-related. And when you looked at the video footage, the, the CCTV footage, you looked at it like, these do not look like convoy people. And when I saw that, I, I'm not going to say it couldn't be because anything's possible. I don't want to rule anything out, but it's also not incumbent on me or anyone else to prove a negative. The people that were saying this was connected to the convoy had to provide evidence, and they didn't except for this took place in downtown Ottawa and the convoys in downtown Ottawa. Ergo, they must be connected. And it, it took a couple of months because this was near the end of January. It took a couple of months, but we're finally where we are now at which point the Ottawa police have said they do not have any evidence that this was connected to the convoy. They've charged someone, nothing to do with the convoy, nothing to do with truckers. He wasn't protesting vaccine mandates. What his motivation was, I don't know. But I do know that all of the people that tried to pin this on the truckers lied. And you know what? When I look around, I have not seen a lot of apologies. Speaking of Jugmeet Singh, let's take a look at the montage of all those who decided that they would put their own hatred of the truckers above facts. Violence is commonplace. We saw an example of this violence, an attempted arson downtown of an apartment building where people started a fire, when they exited, they taped the door. And an attempted arson, all of which, Madam Speaker, was caught on video. It has been an illegal occupation that has uh, been harassing people in residential areas of Ottawa. People don't feel safe in their own homes. There have been reports of attempted arson. Of Canadians are also concerned hearing reports of an attempted arson in the lobby of a residential apartment building. Because we see um, hate speech, we see uh, illegal acts such as arson. The incessant honking, the arson attempts. The incessant honking, the arson attempts. An attempted arson of a residential building in the occupation area. We've seen the active sabotage of 911 emergency call lines and even an attempted arson. Other alleged crimes have even been more egregious. Ottawa police are investigating the attempted arson of a downtown apartment building. The situation persists, fueled in part by foreign funding. 
We saw reports of attempted arson in some of the buildings. And it certainly does not include arson or pushing into a residential apartment building and barricading the exits with handcuffs. The arrests for conspiracy to murder, attempted arson of a residential building. Over the past three weeks, we have watched assaults, attempted arson. They have been living in fear, fear that their apartment buildings may be torched by arson. Seen assaults, attempted arson, widespread harassment. There's been attempted arson with the attempt of handcuffing doors shut so that if a fire started, people would be burned alive. And Death threats, an attempted arson. A building had an attempted arson where the doors were taped shut. Another building had occupiers attempting to handcuff the doors. There are reports of attempted arson, bomb threats. Hate crimes, misogyny, arson. Horns honked all night long. We saw thefts and attempted arson. <laughs> so hey, the last one's great. So if you take out the part that's been uh, debunked, which is theft, and the other part which has been debunked, which is arson, you're left with honking. Yeah, that's basically what it is. The narrative is crumbling. Now, there were a lot of people in there. Now, in fairness, Laurel Collins, uh, bless her heart, she was in there like seven or eight times. That was not just the same clip over and over. She kept going back to this. Uh, that reel was put together by Cosman Georgia, my colleague at True North, who deserves a... I don't know what medal. I don't know if it's a Pulitzer. I don't know if it's a Nobel Prize. But for sifting through all of that, he deserves a, an award of some kind. Because you know that whenever you are trying to go through to make a montage, you have to look at all of those people talking about other things as well. So he, he has see, seen hours of those people talking, making things up about the convoy, all to give us a two-minute sizzle reel. But I saved the best for last. Jim Watson, the ineffectual mayor of Ottawa, went all in on this. Take a look at this clip. Yesterday, we learned of, of a horrific story that clearly demonstrates the malicious intent of these protesters occupying our city. At 5 a.m., and this was captured on the building's video, on Sunday morning, two young men the lobby of the building on Lisker Street where they proceeded to light fire starter bricks near the elevators before taping up the door handles so residents would struggle to get out during a fire. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but this story could have ended very, very differently. It's extremely disturbing and points to a desire to harm our residents and obvious criminal intent, which I know the Ottawa Police Arson Unit is now investigating. I cannot stress this enough, and I hope this message gets through to the truckers. The lives of in individual innocent people are at stake right now, right here. La vie de nos résidents vulnérables est en jeu et cette occupation doit cesser tout de suite. This occupation must cease right now. I have looked at some of their Twitter accounts, notably Jim Watson's, and you know, just in case, just in case something has changed in the time since I've been on air, I'm going to look up in in real time his Twitter account and see what we have here. Nope, his last tweet was on. I believe, well, no, it was 48 minutes ago. That was not an apology. He retweeted some stuff five hours ago. He retweeted some stuff yesterday. No, oddly enough, it, unless there's an issue with my Twitter or with Jim Watson's Twitter or with Twitter itself, I, I don't think Jim Watson has apologized. 
I don't think Jim Watson has admitted that he got it wrong. And again, this is a guy who used his muscle as the mayor of Ottawa, such as it is, to lobby GoFundMe, to present this image of lawlessness, to get, uh, basically, to get the government action that we saw in the Emergencies Act. And this was a piece of the evidence that he was leaning on and that a lot of those federal MPs you just saw in that reel there were leaning on. And what do we have? Ottawa police, admittedly, two months later, say it had nothing to do with the convoy. This is why the convoy was so powerful. This is why the convoy was so influential, because it revealed the lengths through which people who view liberty as inherently toxic will go to quell democratic, peaceful protesters, to quell people. It's blatantly wrong. And anyone with half a brain saw that it was wrong. They saw that this was not connected to the convoy. Could it have been possible? Absolutely. But it, it was always implausible because of what the convoy was about and, and who was in that and who made it up and who, made, who comprised the, the convoy's membership. And, and shame on all the media, shame on all the politicians that let their contempt for this movement get in the way of any semblance of facts, of honesty, and of fair dealing. We've got to end things here. My thanks to all of you for tuning in to The Andrew Lawton Show today. We'll be back in a couple days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. And if you haven't already, do check out my interviews with, so far, four of the Conservative leadership candidates. There are nine, so we're going to be extending invitations to the others and, and try to get as many of them on the show as we can. Uh, but the ones we have so far, you can go and check out with Leslie Lewis, Roman Babber, Jean Charest, and who else do we have? We have Pierre Polyev. And I think that's I think that's it. We've done the four. We've done the four. So that is coming up. But I do thank you very much. If you want to support the work we're doing here at True North, you can head on over to tnc.news and click the donate button. And we thank you very much for it. We'll talk to you soon, folks. Thank you. God bless and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.